thanks. Um, I thought the best way is to actually do a little show and tell. Um, but I guess before I start, um, looking out on everyone here, I was exactly in your boots X number of years ago. I was convinced I was going to be a scientist. I wanted to be a field zoologist. My strengths were, strengths were math and science. Um, I like to go into the chemistry lab and make explosives. <laughs> and um, then I got to Yale. I had a science advisor. And uh, we sat down, and because I wanted to go into animal behavior, but I wanted to do it from the field zoology end or the sort of watching in nature, he took one look at me and he said, you're not going to like Yale's program. And I said, why not? And he said, well, it involves vivisection. And I said, what's that? And then he explained what it was, and I said, yep, you're absolutely right. Thank you, goodbye. And now I'm stuck. Now, my whole life, my dad was um, dean of fine arts. I grew up spoiled because I could like do bronze casting. I could do any arts, any crafts that I wanted to. And I almost took it for granted. I wasn't going to be an artist. It didn't even occur to me. My mother and father were both in academia, so I was going for the academics. And um, since I also liked science and math, I thought a perfect combination would be architecture, which is what I majored in as an undergraduate. And I think it's very funny because I, don't, I probably didn't know who I was and what I am, which is much more an artist, though I happened to build architecture, until I would say about five, six years ago because I got labeled as an architect at the age of 21, and I thought I was an architect, and then I went on to graduate school in architecture, and I had the hardest of time because I didn't quite fit the mold. In fact, several professors would say, well, you have to make a choice. You're either going to be an artist or an architect. Make the choice. And what I didn't realize is it was a years after graduate school that I basically, my process is probably more intuitive like an artist, but I have a very, a very analytic process before I ever figure out what a form should be. And in that sense, I analyze and I analyze and I study. And when I say I'm very site-specific in my work, it's not just a physical site, it's a cultural site. Who's there, what it's about, the psychological ramifications. And I could spend two to three, sometimes a year, thinking about what a piece should be. And then I just forget all I've studied and all I've thought, and then I visit the site. And um, I think the phrase is, you lay an egg. It comes out very quickly at that point. But in a way, it isn't, because you've had this very scientific, analytic approach. You turn it all off, and then there's an automatic, intuitive act. And I don't think you can connect it. I don't think you can find the reason for everything you make. I don't think you should want to. I think art is, in the end, part magic. And we should leave it that way. So I was just going to tap through a few things. This is um, Rockfield, and I don't know if it's focused. This is part of a traveling show. This is blown glass rocks, a grouping of about 45. And this is a sculptural piece that went in a show called Topologies. A lot of my sculptural works, I've discovered, have been about land, geology, um, in a way, a love of nature. Sometimes just the simple analysis of what a, a, a simple water-worn rock looks like. So this piece, each rock is around Oh, anywhere from 12 inches to 14 inches in diameter. And it, it's actually in a museum in Des Moines right now. This is in the foreground topographic landscape, a piece made out of cut particle board. And in the background, avalanche, uh, a poor piece of recycled glass. 
Can we dim some of these lights? Is it possible? And this is um, just a close-up of topographic landscape. And you can't quite tell if it's reminiscent of a water wave or a sand dune. Where I grew up in Ohio, the um, hillscape is very, very rolling. There are um, also these ancient Indian burial mounds from the Hopo and Adena tribes. Uh, the serpent mounds one, their effigy mounds, and I was very inspired by these works. It's, you might find, I think I have found, so much of my work is based on what I grew up with, um, the landscape being one of those elements. This is um, asteroids. It's a grouping of three broken glass balls. This is a piece called ecliptic, a small cast pewter dish that is actually being cut off here. But it, it's merely about the study of an ellipse and the shadow it causes on the wall. These are a series of broken glass monoprints where I took a piece of plate glass, inked it, and broke it. And you can't quite tell if they're map fragments, actual little river landscapes. Um, again, I did a larger series strictly called the geography lesson. So again, I'm playing off of natural phenomena. And then this is a piece of a sculpture that as you walk up to it, it's at the Rockefeller Foundation, you can't quite figure out what it is. And then from the second story, and it's being cut off, I don't know if you can move it up a little. It's a map of the world, which you kind of can't see. <laughs> but, but it's basically called um, 10 degrees north, and the water is percolating up from the trenches, and it's at the Rockefeller Foundation. Is this as... Um, like, I can't, these aren't legible to me. Are they legible back there? Okay. This is a simple crack in a wall for a corporate art collection in Des Moines for the principal financial. And in it is water running. It's called a shift in the stream. And the water is running from both sides and draining. That's in the lower lobby. And then on top, water is just randomly trickling down an existing building. And I, again, working within an architectural construct, could I make a landscape gesture? Could I, in a way, excavate a building and make a work that was not architectonic in form, but strictly a landscape work? So this was sort of a challenge to me. And then this is a piece I did, um, the heart of which is a fountain. Thank you. And um, I collaborated with my brother, who's a language poet, and we created a garden you can read. It's called Reading a Garden. Um, this one is word runs rhymes around reversed verses, run rhymes around reversed verses, run rhymes in the um, reverses the shadow. And the center of the piece is called Reading a Garden. It's titled backwards in metal on top, but its reflection reads forward. So it clues you in when you're at the heart of the garden that this place is about the directionality and weight of words. And then this is one of my first earthworks, which led to a piece after I completed the civil rights, which is um, called Topo. And it's just a series of 14 large topiary rolling down a hill in front of the Charlotte Sports Coliseum. Um, and it was a break back to landscape, which um, also followed with a piece I installed at the Wexner Center, which is 43 tons of broken car glass in three areas, which creates gardens you look into. You can't actually access them, because again, working with some mediums that are 
I guess technically dangerous. Um, you can look in at them, but you can't gain access to them. So that's the cafe area. And then this is a piece called the Wave Field in Michigan. It's about 10,000 square feet, strictly sculpted earth. It's in front of the aerospace engineering building there. And again, as I said, I'm site specific, but I read a lot about flight and fluid dynamics and came across turbulence study. And there was this incredible picture of a naturally occurring water wave. Um, it's completely symmetrical. It's called a Stokes wave. And I knew that my artwork would be about that. And again, I think when you're searching to make a work and as an artist, you never know what you're gonna find. And I think it's the process you're interested in, in the search. And so this one, it's actually one of my favorite pieces. And meanwhile, the other side of my brain was doing architecture. And so this is the top of a house I did in Massachusetts, a private residence. Which I didn't bring that many slides of the architecture. This is um, uh, a residence for Peter Norton. It was a surprise to his wife. Um, that's the entrance. And I made it as a puzzle box of which, as you enter, that's um, just a mysterious little buffet that begins to be the dining room table. So everything pulls out. And the whole apartment transformed. It went from being a three-bedroom, three-bath to a two-bedroom, two-bath, merely by pulling a hinge, rotating a closet, whatever. And say, for instance, the shower doors disappear so you can make space where there wasn't, and then you can create a glass cube, which is your shower. But it was all about transformation, transform flexibility. I think we live differently than we did 100 years ago, and can we make spaces that transition or change with us? And then this is um, a recycling of an old barn for the Children's Defense Fund in Tennessee. As you enter, I kind of used sort of a very low space, made a sculpture to create an outdoor room, and then cut away at the old barn cribs. And then what I introduced was completely modern and new. And um, it's almost like the old skin and the new skin. You see it at the entrance, and then you walk up. And it's completely new on the inside. And then there are the hybrids. And the hybrids, this is called Eclipse Time. And it's a clock. It's actually in Penn Station. And um, the metal disc travels back and forth through the course of a day. And um, at 12 midnight, it completely eclipses the fiber optic light source. And at 12 noon, it's either all the way to the left or the right. And it's accurate to within 15 minutes. I, I love time. I'm actually putting in a piece at Stanford right now that deals with time. It's a very large clock. And then the other hybrids are the monuments, the civil rights, the women's table, which counts. I don't know. Can you read that? I can't read it. Can you focus it? You should be able to read the numbers. Oh, that's better. It's been out of focus this whole time. Oops. Anyway, it counts the number of women at Yale from when there were none. And there are many going down into the hall till the day I put it in, 1993. So this was a very open-ended timeline. Civil rights, thank you. Focus, keep focusing it. They will come into complete focus, which I think is a problem. Which is a slightly open end. It, it captures from 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, 
till Martin Luther King's assassination in 68. There's a gap left signifying time before and time after. And the quote on the wall is, um, we are not satisfied, we shall not be satisfied until justice flows down like waters. And that suggests ongoing work. Um, the piece exists at the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that's basically, I would say, the last 10 years from 89 to 99. Before that, I was in going back to graduate school. And I think um, when you do something very, at a very young age, like I did, um, you're going to get the question, oh, what do you do for an encore? I think as an artist, you have to treat every project, every new project, as the only thing that matters, or at least I do. And you're never really in competition with, um, with your older projects. It's, again, a learning experience. And for me, in the artworks, it's really been a move towards landscape and towards environmental installations. And that's been very important to me. Um, other than that, I think in art, you can never, ever have an absolute right answer. And I think I was attracted to art because no matter how hard I studied, no matter how hard you might learn it in the books, it, it's so difficult to resolve it. And I think that's, that's the challenge of art. And I think it's a, very, it's a very individual pursuit, or it has been for me. And I think it's something that you really have no choice to do. You just you, you just have to follow your own, your own calling. And um, I think what was really funny is one of my professors once said, because I kept using the word play, I play a lot, I study, I play. And he said, Maya, in architecture, we do not use the word play. And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding? If you're not going to play, then what's the point of it? Because if it becomes work, um, I don't, I don't want to be there. So it has been a, a play for me. And it, it's been a real search and exploration. But I don't know if there are any questions I could take. Hi. Hi. Uh, Misha Dworsky, Klineka, Maryland. And as an artist and I know, just as an intelligent person and achiever, I suppose, um, what makes people react to beauty? What people's make, ugh. Um, they're too. <laughs> Debates. I mean, you can talk about a universal beauty. You can talk about um, culturally specific beauty. I think you can be of two camps. I mean, my work, I am absolutely sort of fascinated. My works tend to be called um, almost too beautiful for the, for the art world, I think. Um, there's something about it that is, it's almost like there's, in art at times, there's a need to shock or there's a need. And um, I don't know. I think, for me, it's different for all people. I think why, I would say probably that nature is going to be ultimately beautiful, I would hope, to most people. But then I would guess not, because we wouldn't have left the landscape in the condition that it presently is. So. I would probably say it is something that is partly cultural, partly something innate, um, but that doesn't necessarily um, mean it is art for each culture, because I think art is not necessarily beautiful. Thanks. Hi, um, I'm Samantha Crane from Bethesda, Maryland. Um, 
And I just wanted to ask, all of your um, art seems to be extremely, um, very simple and very extremely um, um, understated in its beauty. And I was just wondering, do you ever sort of feel like when you're making some artwork that you want to put something else in and that you have to sort of pare things down to make it simple or is it just naturally like that? Um, I think I prefer to strip things down to edit and it's, it's a very different approach. It's sort of just like, uh, I don't know what your workplace looks like. I can be an utter slob, but if I'm gonna actually get down to work, I wanna clean it all away and have a fairly empty room. That is extremely different from other artists and other creators. Uh, but for me, I think I am probably about attaining some sort of quiet, is what I'm gonna say. Um, I don't know why, but that's just kind of who I am. Okay, we're out of time. <laughs>